Hey, this is Allison Packard. You might know me as the voice of Rose from Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, or Chibanyan from Yokai Watch, or maybe as Toodles from the Tom and Jerry Show. I wanted to say, hey, thank you so much for watching Points of Experience podcast with Paul Castro Jr. See you next time. Well, as you've heard from that fantastic intro, we have the amazing Allison Packard coming up, who also happens to be a podcast host just like myself. Her podcast, Allison Wonderland, Allison's Wonderland, is absolutely phenomenal. She has guests very similar to this show across all parts of this industry. So we're talking casting directors, agents, managers, the people working behind the scenes, on the scenes, in the scenes, in the drapes, in the curtains, whatever it is. She's having a very similar conversation that I'm having with all the people that I have on here for all of you. So please check out her podcast, um, her work on World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, Rugrats, Yokai Watch, and so many others. Is, is She really has this very magnetic energy about her, and she is a hard worker, Um in everything she does, I mean, she's doing this podcast, she does TikTok, she makes her own YouTube videos, she's a singer-songwriter, she works as a writer in the industry, and she's a phenomenal actor. I mean, I envy that work ethic, and I think there's a lot of similarities between the both of us that we do talk about in the episode. So, uh, if you're interested in any and all of those things, please stick around, but before you get to the episode, make sure you like, subscribe, because most of you aren't subscriberoonied, so if you want to be subscriberoonied, make sure you hit the subscriberoonie button. And uh, leave us a review. Let us know your thoughts because we re really appreciate it. And we will comment back. I will directly engage with you. Um, so go ahead and do that. Now. 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 You're done? Good. So strap in. We've got Allison Packard on the Points of Experience podcast. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm going to compliment you and your everything you've got going on in, in a hot second but I want to ask again how are you doing today I am doing great Paul it's good to see your face yes. happy Wednesday yes happy Wednesday I don't Wonderland Wednesday yes. I like to say. recording of Wednesdays <laughs> for us I mean we, do, we usually right. record on Wednesdays so I guess that's a good insight for the listener we usually record on Wednesdays there you go if you didn't know uh -huh. now you know um I love your earrings too by the way yeah. those things look awesome Thank you. You know, I so rarely wear jewelry, but today I was just like, let's make this happen. Let's 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 plus up this Wednesday with uh, some some bling. <laughs> I used to wear a lot of necklaces and bracelets and stuff. And <laughs> then did. when I started doing a lot more voiceover, I realized that I always had to keep taking them off because it would like, you know, jingle or like my oh, bracelets yeah. would click. And I was like, it's just not worth it's not worth the investment anymore. I'm just going to go no jewelry. So now I pretty keep it simple. Yeah, keep it simple. No. Um, so, yeah, I want to talk really quick, too. I don't know if you're in your space. I know that your your studio, this is, a, I guess, even from a recent um, TikTok video you posted, because one of your videos that you had posted on TikTok that kind of exploded was like a little home studio tour you did. And yeah. I was so jealous of how awesome your space <laughs> looks and how comfortable and cozy and just the construction. Like how can you just give me a quick rundown of what that process was from start to finish and how you like visualize that whole thing and brought it to fruition? 
Sure. Um, so I moved into the house that I'm in now in 2016, and we were looking for a house. I was pregnant with my son, and we were really hoping to move in before the baby, and yeah. uh, that didn't happen. Um, so we moved in when he was about 10 weeks old, and I knew from the beginning that I wanted to build like a really a studio that felt so special and felt like um, a hub of creativity mm. and somewhere where I could work and feel inspired. And so um, I had, prior to that, I had just had an extra bedroom that was soundproofed. It wasn't, uh, it was broadcast quality, but like, let's say there was a garbage truck going by or something. Yeah. It wouldn't have been um, perfect for that. Yeah. So this, um, oh, hey, <laughs> um, this, uh, I wanted to build like a soundproof studio yeah. and, um, George Whittem was already my studio guy. So I turned to George and asked him, you know, could he help me envision this space? And at the time was really obsessed with tiny homes. And, um, so I showed him some inspo and he went online and searched for, uh, CAD drawings of tiny homes, used those and modified it um, to build this studio. And because I needed it soundproofed, and my idea at the time, it's not the most cost effective way to do something, but um, it, it was to have the whole space be soundproof. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason people will soundproof a room, um, a box within a box. And yep. that's because less soundproofing, but I wanted to soundproof the whole space so that it just felt like a little, um, cocoon yeah. of creativity. And so we did that and the space is double framed and double walled. And in between those two spaces, there's a pocket of air. Yep. And I guess this George can tell you more about the greater details, but he had to come and inspect it and make sure not a single, nail was poking through and breaking from one frame to the next. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so he helped me envision it, took the drawings, um, kind of acted as the architect and, um, designed the space. And I moved in here. It took about, I want to say about eight months from start to finish. And oh. that includes the planning. And then the building probably took about four to five months. They had to lay a new foundation. Well, first they had to tear out everything that was already here. It was yeah. a pizza oven, which was <laughs> like, oh, that's kind of sad. It was a really great pizza oven, but we had we had things we needed to do. Yes. Um, so, yes, I love this space. I, I really was into the idea of having windows and having it be light and bright and airy. And um, so each window has three panes of glass in it. So yeah. I think there's about nine panes of glass because there's three different window panes and three panes in each. And then um, I really wanted, I can show you a little bit, this loft space. So I'm also a writer and songwriter and um, I love to journal and meditate. So I really wanted this, this space to kind of be uh, a place where I could go and collect my thoughts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, I would say I am really happy with the studio. It's been my happy place for 
I guess it's about seven years now, six, seven years. Wow. Congratulations. And I totally understand having like, cause I mean, my room here that I'm in like yeah. right behind me is, is a, a window, but it's like, this is not a room within a room. This is just a room yeah. that I outfitted to be acoustically treated. And ah. when those garbage cans go by or those airplanes are really close overhead, you know, it's, yeah. if you're during production, you got to wait. And there is a bit of, um, I mean, I come from New York city where I was dealing with way yeah. worse than what I'm dealing with now. But having the freedom to understand that you are you're free to be creative. You're there's not going to be interruptions that you can just be loose and not have to worry about a take being ruined or any of that stuff. It's got to be really liberating. The I definitely would say prioritize soundproofing your space versus aesthetics because um, aesthetics are nice. Um, I will say that my microphone is right near my computer. And so if I were to do it again, I would put it in a separate space so uh. that it's not easy to be distracted. Um, but you know, you got to find what works for you. Um, but definitely having that soundproof space is, is a big game changer because then if the client's on the phone or, you know, you're in a session with Nickelodeon, you know, you don't have to be like, oh, or, or for example, and I can still hear it. They're doing major construction next door. And and um, at this point, because they're framing, I probably wouldn't even feel comfortable booking a session unless I know they're going to be on break. But yeah. um, but for the most part, for auditions and everything else, it, it's quite quiet in here. Yeah. Um, you know, I think people make home studios out to be this big thing. And I've been doing this long enough that I felt like I wanted to treat myself. I would say we'll probably be here for another few years and then I'll move and then it'll be on to creating the next thing. And it might be actually a booth within a booth, you know, something that feels um, dark and kind of atmospheric because that's mm. a cool vibe, too. You just got to ask yourself, uh, you know, what's my budget and what what is what I want to create at this moment? And then. Um, there's lots of resources available out there and, and people that can help you create your vision. Absolutely. And someone that you mentioned, George Whittem. I mean, someone, if you were in I a voiceover, the California area, him and Dan <laughs> Leonard are two of, of, we've had Dan on the podcast. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. great people who can give such insight to whatever stage of the game mm. you're in, whether you're just in a closet or if you're doing a PVC booth or if you're doing something like what mm -hmm. you have, they have such knowledge of what is not only best for what you're dealing with, but also what these studios and engineers and clients are looking for. So it's so worth the investment to consult with them. Uh, yeah. At, any, at any stage. Um, yeah. I wanted to also bring up because you were saying, um, I mean, you are somebody, you know, when I look at all the work you've done and I look at your resume, you've really worked in kind of every pocket of this industry and <laughs> in voiceover in the entertainment industry. I mean, from, you know, anime to cartoons, prelay, animation, uh, commercial, promo. It seems like you've really touched every corner and even within some of those corners, the corners that exist within those, you know, within <laughs> video games, you're going from, you know, World of Warcraft to Call of Duty to JRPGs. You really have had your hand in all these different pots. And what is it, what has it been like for you um, getting into this industry and starting to kind of where you are now? Did you have kind of a goal where you were like, um, I wanted to do voiceover for this reason? Or was it just falling into this industry and then seeing where it took you from there? Uh, so I guess there's a couple different questions there. The first about how did, how did I 
get involved in voiceover. When I first realized that that was a job, I thought, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be able to do this. But just because I'd had a lot of experience doing oratorical essays in school, a lot of theater experience, and um, they they would have like. Um, competitions where you would have to present an essay or um, speak into a microphone. And I always did really well at that. So mm. um, even just, you know, us voiceover people, we like to raise our hands and read, <laughs> read out loud, <laughs> you know, fourth grade, you're like, is this nerdy? Is this dorky? I'm going to do it anyway. I just yeah. really want to read. Um, so I just liked doing that. So I thought, okay, this is something that I can do while, um, while I'm pursuing, my other artistic pursuits and music and acting. And I've always just, I, I was diagnosed with ADD when I was like in the second grade. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I not sure how much it's creative personality type versus, um, you know, uh, a neurodivergency, you know, it's, for me personally, um, it's always been the way that I think and the way that I function for better, or for worse. Mm. So in some ways, it's like, oh, I have this CEO mentality. I can manage the podcast. I can create content. I can audition for like 10 different projects a day. And if I'm doing less, I think my brain just immediately starts to go, I should record an album. <laughs> That's just the way like my personality is. Um, the downside being that um, staying focused on one task um, and, and the depth can be a challenge for me, mm. but, um, voiceover seemed like this way to make money doing what I wanted to do, which was have a career as an artist, have a career as a performer. Mm. And growing up, I never saw a model where anybody ever did that. Um, my dad was a musician in the late seventies, but they were just, you know, like a local band and um, nobody ever, I never knew any actors, um, just community theater, people who did it because they loved it, not because they made a career out of it. Yeah. So that I think as big as I could have dreamed when I chose my major for college was broadcast journalism. Cause I'm like, this is a career. Um, they're performing in a way they're, exposing truth is what I initially thought before I got into it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is maybe this is the safer choice. Um, I knew that I was going to go to school and have a lot of student loans to pay off. So it wasn't like I thought I could just come out to Hollywood and like be a screen actress. Yeah. Um, now I know that 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 possibility does exist. And, and these roads um, they're not easy, um, but the possibility is there. And I think for me at the time, voice acting was like this secret thing that not a lot of people knew about that. I was like, mm. oh, I started booking jobs and, and they would pay versus like I was booking on camera jobs and it would be like copy credit and meals. It's going to be great on your reel. Like, what are they not going to feed you? <laughs> <laughs> you say, yeah, get your own McDonald's. Yeah. Gosh. Show, show so, up with a lunch bag. <laughs> show up with a lunch bag. Have your mom have your lunch. Yeah. So, so yeah. So voiceovers seem like a really great opportunity and, um, you know, 20 years later, it's been a really fun career path. It's, 
it's definitely, I think, a bit of a different industry now than probably when you started. But uh-huh. it it really was at that time. I feel like I'd have to imagine that little that 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 un, undiscovered gem that people were. There was a select group of people working in this industry, and they were doing a great really great you know you think about Mel Blanc and you think about even the Rob Paulsons and the Tress McNeils yeah. and all those people these were working on so many different titles mm-hmm. um, yeah and to kind of find your foot at that time I feel like must have been very your foot in the door at that time must have been challenging how did you very get the first foot in the door to even pursue to pursue voiceover well, I remember making an active choice. I was at a CSD signing. Keith Ferguson was there, Quentin Flynn, and a handful of other voice actors. And I remember actively making a choice like, these people are so cool. They seem very happy and satisfied. I want to work in animation. Mm. And not and thinking, yeah, I can do this. And not realizing just how challenging it was. And even 20 years later, I would say more challenging now, yeah. even for somebody that's been working. Um, in some ways, um, there's so many more people that um, are into the game and home directing, self-directing um, is a different thing because it's it, at the end of the day, it's not always just about the acting. It's about who's the best fit for the role. Yeah. And so you might have a read in you that actually, like if it you had subtly tweaked it, would be in callback territory and you'd get in front of somebody and they'd be able to like pull you in. But you might not be getting the call because you're a little bit farther away from the mark. Um, So that's, that's different and that's changed. So a lot of times I think more than before, we're tending to play the types of roles that we are um, drawn to, or maybe a more natural fit voice versus the utility player, which is not as in vogue these days. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think that's the most fun part. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, did that answer your question? Absolutely. I feel like we got all no, and I think you're right. From depending upon which vantage point you're looking from, it could be even more difficult to get into this industry now than it was back then. Do you? Was there? Uh, you, you talked about being at CESD. So oh. had you ha, had you been working in on camera and commercials, and then you found your way to the voiceover department? Like, where? How did that first voiceover opportunity come about? So I went to Emerson College in Boston, and they have an L.A. program. So you graduate with all your friends out in Los Angeles. And I loved it at the time, was like just so in love with L.A. and felt like I was living my dreams come true. We had no furniture. We all were working as waitresses. Um, but there was so much hope and possibility of what the future could bring. Yeah. And um I just was so in love with it. And at the time, I had a friend who was an assistant at a talent agency. And she brought my demo in. I had like a cobbled together demo um, that I recorded in college. That was when I actually got my first job was in the Boston market where it's kind of a different industry. But Not when the I got fast LA, food chain, but the market <laughs> that exists within Boston, correct? Right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, So I started working in Boston and, you know, had experience. Um, and so when I moved out here, I just got lucky. And, you know, I mean, the first year, I think I booked one or two jobs. It was Mm -hmm. not a lot. Um, but slowly they started to collect 
and build up. Um, but it was really, I found throughout my career, the yes, you might just book off your audition. Um, but more often than not, your audition books it because you've got the relationship there already. And whether that somebody has uh, heard your work, worked with you is the best, um, familiar with your work from maybe previous auditions, or maybe they're familiar with your work because you've posted samples, um, or maybe they've heard good things about your work, or maybe you've won an award or something. Um, so it's more often than not, people are taking a chance on those that they know they can trust, which makes this industry so convoluted and not anything you can really control to a certain extent. And, um, I would just say you need a strong constitution (laughs) to, uh, sometimes, you know, deal with the fact that so much of it is out of your control. So much is, and it is extremely competitive. You know, I think now with the the technology where it is today, you can get a really good microphone for, you know, a hundred to $200 and you get an interface for 50 to a hundred bucks. And you can really throw your hat in the ring or your name in the ring with a very limited investment. Does that yes. mean you're going to be the best for the job? Not necessarily. Does that mean that you're going to be up to studio quality or have all the qualifications that yeah. are required to book the job? No, but there's just so much noise and it's interesting at a time, two comments I have, at a time hmm. right now where we're moving away from kind of going into the studios or we have moved away from going into casting mm-hmm. offices and you would look around you and you'd say, okay, I know that there's 20 people here I have some decent odds if I've made it to this point. One of us is going to get it. Yeah, you know, at least I know <laughs> I've gotten me, that it's far. it's that guy, and I love that guy. <laughs> exactly, and and I was, you know, I, I enjoyed that, and it, there's always, the, the, you know, the flip side of that, and that's kind of what the acting union is kind of uh, fighting for right now. SAG-AFTRA, I was just talking with somebody, and they were telling me where it's like, you know, if we move away from these self-tape opportunities or these record-from-home opportunities, less people will have um, access mm-hmm. to some of these mm-hmm. things. How However, you know, you look at someone like our jobs virtually are auditioning hundreds mm-hmm. of times a week, and um, there's no compensation for that for anybody here who doesn't know that, who's listening <laughs> at this point to the podcast. Mm-hmm. You're not getting paid, so it's kind of like which of these is the, the best route, and I think that there's conversations being had to find the right middle ground between opening mm-hmm. casting offices to, to create that face-to-face connection, to create mm-hmm. an establishment with these offices to know, okay, you know, when Allison comes in, I know she's great at this, she's directable, um, she has this type of range, and it's not just like an MP3 label that I know when it comes in and there's no kind of intimacy that's being created. Um, do you have a preference or at least a, an opinion upon, like, life going back to that? Or do you like having access to everything that's kind of happening? Um, Well, I think from a self-tape perspective, it's newer to on-camera actors that they might be submitting auditions, as we like to say, into the void (laughs) in a way where you're not getting any feedback. You don't know how close you got um, unless you get a rare call back. And many jobs just go straight to booking off your first audition. So if you're a little off the mark, Uh, vocally or personality-wise just because you misinterpreted the copy. 
um, you never know, you know? Mm. So part of it is the art of, I mean, a large part of it is the art of self-direction. And the irony is that when you get to the session, you need to be directable <laughs> by somebody else. Um, my preference is always 100% working with other people. Um, I got into this business because I love people. I love humanity. I love searching together for the commonality that ties us. And that's always been what drives me um, to uplift and inspire. And now we're dealing with a situation where we often don't get to see the audience experiencing the end product. Mm. We often um, don't get directed unless we book the session. And um, we often don't get feedback. So uh, my preference, I think recording from home is very efficient. And I don't think it's going anywhere soon. But um, there are certain casting places that will do like, hey, uh, I'm going to be open for two hours. You can come and wait in a Zoom queue and ask questions and at least make that personal connection. Yeah. Or if if some of the auditions were in person, um, that would be great. Um, I'm just wondering how do we as artists bring the humanity and the connection back to the work? Mm. Sometimes I'll coach and work with somebody just over Zoom to get a second opinion on my reads. Um, but, you know, that's also a shot in the dark because that person's not the casting director. They're not the director of the project. And yeah. so it's just kind of two two people um, shooting in the dark with the specs that we often have. And um, for our viewers and listeners that uh, might not know, a lot of times um, an audition will include very limited specs and just your audition lines. Mm -hmm. So then it's up to you to make up the scene. So I think one way that casting could really help out the artist is to include the full scene yeah. um, so that we, we can examine it and when possible, the full script, because in terms of interpretation of the role and of the scene, so much of that depends on my relationship to the other actor and my relationship to the environment. And so I might imagine that this line halt, you know, uh, I, I've got eyes on you, like just like whatever line that is. Yeah. I might imagine I'm in a big cavern and I'm shouting to 50 people and it could be just somebody right here, right next to me. I'm going to deliver the line very differently. And, um, you know, it, that may or may not make the difference between who books the job is the person that figured it out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it just makes me think of I have a without getting into too much details to <laughs> prevent myself from breaking an NDA here, but <laughs> I have a friend who um, I knew was working on a project and they had been working on it for a while. They had booked a job and I had been getting auditions for it. And I remember asking them, what was the experience like working with the, the director on that project? Because I had, I had another audition coming up for this project and they were like, oh, well, so-and-so actually really likes when, when we do this. You know, and having access to that information to know that how a, a preference a director might have, not necessarily that's the reason why I may or may not have book or book the part, mm -hmm. but it helped me so much make um, my second read informed to say, mm -hmm. okay, at least I know I'm going to put my shot out there. 
maybe on the first or the second read or vice versa, but I can include the second take with that information in mind and see if that flavors anything. Mm. I wound up booking a role in this project, and I don't know if it was a book because of that information or not, but just being able to have access to more, mm-hmm. you know, there's a little bit more information, whether that's from the script, from the sides, whether that's from, and some of these uh, casting directors, they'll send NP3 notes and they'll be like, Hey, this is yeah. the casting director. This is what we're looking to do. Like that stuff is just so helpful to be included for what essentially is like you said, just, you know, throwing a dart at a dartboard and hoping you, you land on whatever the preferences of the yeah. casting. And then, you know, I mean, there's times when, you know, you get a lot of different auditions and in a way you wonder, is it worth it for me to to challenge myself to read on a spot that maybe I don't feel as connected to or feel like I'm not the greatest fit for? Um, or should I pass on that opportunity and focus my energy on the one that I'm like, this, yeah. this feels like the right fit. So voice actors are often asked to, to make choices like that from a personal perspective, because, it, you know, you can wear yourself thin and you can burn out if you're trying to do every single audition that comes your way. If you have multiple agents and multiple opportunities. And, yeah. um, I, I yeah. had a I had a voice match thing I had to do today and I did one take of it. And I was like, all right, not really close at all. I did a second take and I really like tried to get there. And then I had my, my partner, Ali, she listened to it. And I was like, I was like, this is not, I I was like, just conferring with you. This is not worth me mining anymore because I'm just not going to get there. It was a voice that wasn't right for me. And I was like, I'm going to send this in, let the agents decide what they want to do with it. But I, (laughs) it's not worth my time to sit here and keep trying to mine at something that I don't think is going to get much better. It'll be minuscule if that, um, but focus on the things that I am right for. Like, like you're saying, do you feel like you have a good management of your time or at least a healthy balance between your work? Because we do get so many auditions and also balancing bookings. Do you feel like you've found a good groove where it's productive? You know, I mean, there's also a lot of other things that I that I do, meaning the podcast yeah. and music. And um, I, I think time management is something I think about a lot. Um, I have this, this is my favorite little planner that I'm obsessed with that yeah. um, it breaks, you break your goals down into quarters. And so you do your yearly goals and your quarterly goals, and then you're checking in with that. But the bottom line is I'm always going to want to do more than I have time to do. <laughs> um, so I'm probably uh, a great overestimator of how many hours there are in the day. Um, and I will say, you know, between the WGA strike, the conversation around AI, mm. um, COVID and the l- lessening of um in-person auditions and feedback. And I would say that, um, I've been burnt out. I've been pretty burnt out, um, the past few months and actually kind of trying my strategy is like to pull back a little bit and try to focus on the things, the auditions that light me up and bring me joy. Mm. Um, because I think trying to do too many of them was, wearing me thin and it's like okay these are all great opportunities but maybe these opportunities are for someone else Mm. and that's okay and that's for the best if you come from an abundance mindset then you know the jobs that are right for us we will we will book and the jobs that are not right for us 
um, they go to the person that they're right for. And that's actually great. Like I want to see all my friends thrive. Um, the tricky part is when I feel obligated, I don't want to let somebody down. So I feel like I should give it my best shot. Um, but you know, again, there's only so many hours in the day and had we, then going in, you know, if I was going to Elaine Craig's in Hollywood and, and reading there, there would only be, you know, so many auditions I could do per day. Um, I don't think we're ever going to go back to those days. So Mm. I don't know how useful it is to focus on that, but, um, I appreciate the conversation of how do we as artists bring more of our art to this? Because even sometimes directors will speak in a way that is not um, the way an actor needs to interpret it, like dirty it up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like something like, like that, which it's like, I get what you're saying. What you're saying is it can be realistic. I can take time to experience the moment, have natural breaths and, and exerts and not try to make it too polished. Um, but, you know, I have to actually just, to get to a place where I'm performing in a way that's authentic, I need to kind of reverse engineer the direction sometimes, like to pick mm. up the pace. Oh, okay. Well, what does that mean? If I'm in a thoughtful, if we're in this scene, if this is our scene, sure. like maybe I just get more excited to tell you what I'm telling you because it's just, uh, I'm just more excited about it. Or maybe, maybe I've had a cup of coffee or like, you know, uh, just different ways to make me feel the way that I can have that authentic experience and get the end result that they're seeking. Yes. Well, sometimes directors don't have the same vocab, for lack of a better way of saying yeah. it, is actor-friendly vocabulary because, like you're saying, pick up the pace. <laughs> you could just talk faster, but that doesn't mean any of the acting is going to have any uh motivation or any action anything that is worth listening to i mean anybody can speed up the scene and maybe for comedy that works in some comedies you don't have to do much just say the lines and say it really fast and it's fast or funny who knows but i think (laughs) for you and what you're saying for a lot of people even like myself um you know sometimes in sessions these people are moving so fast and you gotta slow things down for yourself and you don't get that opportunity sometimes with auditions you don't get that sometimes even with the director you're working with so um it's just a lot to deal with. There's a lot of it's a lot of balls to juggle and a lot of responsibility, I think, on the voice actor um, in today's uh, current situation or the way that the current standings of the industry are. And even you know, knowing how much time to put, like how what would you say is your average amount of time you spend per audition? Mm, it's I, I the average I would say is probably lower than I spend because I. I mean, maybe 20 minutes tops on like average for some, but I try the ones that require it's not a a one size fits all for things because there's certain like commercials and promos where I'll read it a couple of times and I'm done in a few minutes. You know, I try to like, I know that my first take is going to be the most natural. And if I keep beating that horse, it's going to be, I I hate that phrase, but if I keep doing what the sentiment (laughs) of that phrase is, (laughs) if I keep doing that, it's going to, it's not going to get much better on your case about this. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But there's certain things that require me to do a little bit of research. I want to like watch some of the episodes. I want to practice the, the vocal quality or the intonation, or maybe if there's a reference, I want to really digest that stuff. So sometimes I can spend a few days on something if, if I really think it requires that. Um, 
But other times when you have like a bunch of things and they don't give you that much information, I just try to take the most informed choice. What, what about you? What is your average at right now? I would say that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the same. It's, it's it varies wildly. And yeah, um, once I'm very comfortable with what I'm saying in a commercial script, um, you know, you can often get a pretty good read in the f- first one or two takes. Um, and then it can sound robotic, but sometimes also I find like, if I sleep on it or come back to it later, I'm like, whoa, I was so sure that that was like the most natural take. (laughs) And then I'm like, no, I was still doing voice actor voicey things, you know, (laughs) billboarding certain words. And that's when we, when I started in the business and this stuff, commercials and stuff I grew up on, that was it. But now it's so much of it is just leaning in and Tina Morasco is really amazing at um, helping voice actors find that conversational non-voice actor read. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, you know, you listen back and sometimes the hat that you're directing with is not the one that you want to be auditioning with. Yes. So to get some separation from that, I think is crucial for me. Yeah, it's tough, uh, especially if you're doing it, you know, multiple hours a day, and you're, yeah. and and I mean, that's not even taking into account if there's projects that you um, really want, um, and then you start, you know, uh, sometimes you over direct yourself, and you, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> I, I totally do that. I I'm do like, too. Oh God. I also just want to make this comment now because just based off of everything we've been talking about a little, you know, the research I've done on you, we have a very similar, I mean, we, we, we both have podcasts here and I think that, I think that says something about the type of people we are or artists or the the things that we like about humanity and just uh, people in this industry. I think it says a lot, but even going back to, um, I had the same thoughts for a bit about doing a career in broadcast journalism too. I was doing Mm. communication and TV radio and I thought oh mm-hmm. I'll be like a news reporter or something I th- I just thought that that was something interesting for a hot minute before I found myself to yeah to, to the theater and then and you stuff. study you study news and you're like oh my god this is just about finding spin and <laughs> actually like lying it's not really about finding the truth it's about finding the headline that sells yeah and that's incredibly uh discouraging or it was for me <laughs> yeah I, I I thankfully didn't get that far to get get a little bit demoralized about what that industry is, thankfully, because mm-hmm. I think if I would have found that out and I would have pursued it further, I would have been very upset. Um, but where for you, if you were pursuing, like, just to hop back a second, where I know you do music and you, you're you a songwriter and you perform all the time, um, but where did the the motion to move from journalism to acting come from? Like, I mean, I only did journalism for one semester and journalism was just a way, is like a safety acting yeah, okay. career. But also, I, I think I'm the, I was always the type of kid that wanted to put on a play, write the play. Mm-hmm star in the play and direct the play <laughs> less directing but more producing you know but maybe you know that that sort of thing like I always was interested in the whole process the whole creative process and funnily enough in a way podcasting is journalism yeah it's modern journalism and uh, you know um I just remember wishing, dreaming that like I'd be able to finish a song in college. And now, you know, I've written a few dozen songs. Um, so it, I think that 
dreams that you plant, those dream seeds do come true. Um, sometimes they take a lot longer than you think, yeah. but it's really cool now to be revisiting old dreams and seeing how far I've come and how much progress has been made. Because mm. I think the enemy of the artist is judgment. And so often we take ourselves out of the game by saying what we have is not good enough. Our talent isn't enough. Um, we're not, you know, we're not creating in the way it's not, it's not at the level that we want it to be. Yeah. And, and that, you know, I think slowly starts to fall away the older you get because you realize time is finite. Yeah. And if we only have so much time, we have to be creating art for the love of the creating. Um, and, you know, honestly, there's there's nothing like it. I'm always going to be driven mm. to create and that feeling's never going to go away. And I'm going to be driven to share that with others. So I'm going to keep coming back to it time and time again. So the more I can get out of my own way and just do the work, the better. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, what are some of those older dreams that you're revisiting? Well, for example, music. Yeah. Um, when I always enjoyed writing, being a singer songwriter, um, but it was never something I put a hundred percent of my effort behind because I was just like this, this is, how does this even, this is not a job. Yeah. And again, coming from like a working class family and feeling like these student loans were hanging over my head. I didn't feel that I had the luxury of just being an artist. Mm. I had to like make it a thing. Um, that's not something I'm necessarily proud of or, um, that I would recommend, but I, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that feeling. And now um, I'm revisiting things and I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, it, the doing the thing does not require that to be your job. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a gigging, touring musician to play shows yeah. in your hometown. You don't even have to, you don't have to, uh, make all your money back. You don't have to, your, your creative hobbies can exist at their highest potential without having to make money. And that's something I'm still trying to learn is, is that they are valuable because they fill up your cup. Mm -hmm. And so do those things that fill you up. And don't worry about the money. Don't worry about yeah. where it's going. I think it's a, a very important lesson to learn when you can just be happy in the doing of things and not necessarily the results you see potentially other people on social media doing. Oh my God, right? You know, we, we constantly are comparing ourselves to what is possible or, you know, we see yeah. other people doing around us. And I'm sure in a town like Los Angeles, you know, and from an artistic perspective, it's like everybody's doing trying everything to do everything at the highest level it's i think it's really yeah. cool to say to yourself i just want to do this and i'm going to do this and it doesn't matter what the um outcome could be it's what i want it to be and i want to have the experience of doing it and 
however I have to do that, I'll go about doing it. So I think it's really important. I have those same thoughts about music for myself sometimes too. You know, we get hyper focused on things from a career perspective in the arts. I think when we're yeah. trying to make a, a living doing something artistic, mm-hmm. that we often like say, "I don't have time for this or this or this anymore because if I'm not doing this, that's going to disappear." I've, I've always felt that way, and it's hard to let that go. Um, I also, because, and we touched upon it really quickly, and I was going to ask this as a question too. Um, if you're not, if you're not listening to Allison's podcast, Allison's Wonderland, and you're listening to this podcast, you're doing yourself a disservice because <laughs> your podcast is phenomenal, and uh, I think you. that's a, I think it's a great way. I, I mean, I have my own reasons for why I do this podcast. And I was going to ask you what, what some of those were, and maybe some of those are rooted in those college thirsts for, for being a, a voice of, of journalistic perspective mm-hmm. in this industry. But yeah, um, this is going to be a two-part question. What is What was like really the main impetus for starting the podcast? And has there been kind of like a moment that you've had doing it where just one either piece of advice or something you were talking about sharing that like – keeps revisiting you or has been stuck in your mind or like because I don't want to ask who your favorite guest was you can never do that Um, but (laughs) was there a moment during any of the podcasts that really was like I can't believe we talked about this and it changed my life well in terms of impetus for creating the show the show I actually created back in 2009 and um, it was a YouTube web series we did a maybe three or four episodes Um, and I didn't realize you kind of have to just keep going and everybody was working for free, but I I had friends from school that were helping me shoot it, friends from school that were helping me edit it. It was a lot of fun. We would go and I would interview people. I would have like a microphone (laughs) and I would like interview people in their, um, environment, which was very cool. Oftentimes, um, I interviewed like Kent Osborne in the bowling alley where him and his Cartoon Network bowling team (laughs) would be bowling. Oh my gosh. Uh, I interviewed animation writer and legend Earl Cress, who's since passed. Um, he brought his Emmy and I got to like hold it and everything. Oh my gosh. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And I think I was driven by my natural curiosity mm. and um, my desire to understand how the industry worked. Animation, there's so many different facets um, that I didn't quite understand. Storyboard artist. Um, how does how does story work with um, work with script? Mm. Like, how does the storyboard artist take the script and make it a reality? What's that like? What does an editor do in animation? Um, what is an animation director? Is not always the voice director. Often not. What what are those different roles like? So I think that's why I wanted to ask people questions. And also, I really enjoy giving people the chance to shine and getting to watch them um, share what makes them special and what makes their work um, excellent. Um, The podcast was rebooted a couple times. And then in 2020, I had gotten off social media completely, Mm. like wasn't putting anything out, which was great for my mental health and terrible for my algorithm. I mean, I basically had like (laughs) a year and a half where I got, you know, I just lost follower, you know. Um, So coming back from that and, and, and just feeling like, what is the point of all this creating for free on the internet mm. for attention from strangers? What are we doing? Yeah. Uh, but then the pandemic hit and I was like, I have no connection to my industry. And I felt like my career wasn't where I wanted it to be. And my agent suggested you should get 
back on social media. That's, you know, how people are staying front of mind. And I was like, I can't just get on after a year and a half, just camping and like being with family and like reading more books mm. and be like, look at me. This is a, the, 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 the self-promotion show. <laughs> So I was like, okay, I'll create this podcast and that'll be my content, like sharing about other people yeah. um, and connecting. And I really have always been so driven to be part of a community and at the center of a community and feeling connected. And I was just feeling like, why do I feel like an outsider in my own industry? Mm. I've been working in this industry long enough um, but something's not clicking. And for me, the podcast has given me the opportunity to make so many more friends, reach out to people whose work I admire that I haven't had a chance to meet yet and get to find out about what makes them tick and also give the fans of the show an opportunity to connect. We just started a discord server, which has been really cool and seeing them, you know, have conversations about the characters that they, that I voice that they love and about the show. Um, but giving people a place where everybody is accepted and everybody belongs. And, um, animation is one of those very inclusive environments where the fans, it's not about being cool. It's not, this is not pop stars. This is not rock stars. This is about people that freaking love cartoons. Like we're a whole big bunch of nerds. Um, so, but I, so people that sometimes feel that they don't fit in in other, other places in the world. So I wanted to give everybody a space where it was safe, where you could come and hang out with me and hang out with my friends and learn about your favorite shows and your favorite video games. And we are at like, I think 92 or 94 episodes. We're going to hit a hundred episodes pretty soon. Holy cow. Kind of crazy. We're at 54, and it has been crazy 54? to think about that, which is yeah. insane. But that's so cool. for How I mean, often? What's your production schedule? Do you we, do you do one a week? We do at least one a week. Sometimes we'll do two, mm-hmm. depending upon if I'm going to be traveling or if I don't know if I'll get one in time. Sometimes, for whatever reason, I've had to miss a week or you know things have happened. But generally, we try to do one a week. and for, Release. Yeah, release we try to one. release one a week and record maybe one to two a week so we can get ahead sometimes so <laughs> that there's a, a backlog. And I think it's interesting for people who are uh, curious about podcasting or if they just enjoy hearing about the pro- uh, process of it. I've come to find it can be a very involving thing where at the end of the day, you know, we sit here and we have a conversation with somebody, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to create what I think. And I think you do a really great job at this. I mean, you, I think you do it in your space, but you have a wonderful, beautiful space where you do it and you get to connect with people. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, a tiny space, but you have this beautiful, uh, like environment, which really sets the backdrop for kind of the, the feel of your show. I think when you have conversations, yeah. it feels very warm and bright and, um, inviting. So, yeah. you know, to create this environment, you know, from a production standpoint and then scheduling people, reaching out to people, doing the research, doing the editing, making sure, yeah. you know, the questions you're asking are, are uh, of research, re- guest you know, research. It, it's just, there's so much that Marketing, goes involved. Marketing, YouTube, pod, buzz, 
feed Buzzsprout. How how has that been uh, for you? I also I'm curious uh, before we get to this actually, has there been a yeah. moment you've done on the show where you just like one moment that always you're like I, when I spoke with this person, you know, when they shared this, it like was just so moving or inspirational, or it was I couldn't believe that that was something that exists in the industry. Was there a moment that you like stands out? Um, amongst the others, um, have from you know doing almost a hundred episodes. Um, I recently had an interview with Rob Pratt, who was a Disney animator from the nineteen nineties that worked on feature films like Pocahontas, mm. and had to reinvent himself, like golden age of animation. Had to reinvent himself when CGI came around. Moved into story, doing boarding and stuff like that, and is now directing. Um, for Disney Plus and um, Firebuds, which is like a preschool animated show, but he has I've done some personal work projects on it. Yeah. as well. Oh, you worked on Firebuds? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so I feel like that interview was really interesting because I think we all think that we are going to get to a place where it's going to be easier or I mean like people will maybe reach out to you and be like hey offer only like would you or you'll just reach a certain status where um you know I I don't know things will be easier and um while some things might get easier some things get more complex too more layered um feelings as you grow and um, evolve and your work and maybe getting pigeonholed into certain characters or um, having difficulty with characters that used to be very easy because mm. you're just a different person than you were. Um, so to hear him speak about that and that really what we have is ourselves and we have the ability to reinvent ourselves at any time. And um, that was really inspiring to me. I think relaunching the podcast was a big uh, period of innovation for me. And, um, you know, just also choosing to do certain projects over other projects. Like right right now, I'm really focusing on animation, animating games um, versus, uh, commercial and promo. Um, so, you know, as we, as we move forward, we are allowed to be flexible. And actually I think artists, uh, encouraged to be flexible. The cool thing for me now is like, I remember just like getting to a certain point where it was like, I was feeling like old and feeling like out of touch with things and then i was able to reinvent and like dive back in and like get into tiktok and like i'm not saying like i'm a master at tiktok or anything but you know just taking a challenge and being like this is something i want to learn and then doing it and now to see people that are younger than me going through the same process where they're like i feel so old and i'm like i'm older than you (laughs) i don't feel old anymore I mean, it comes in phases, I'm sure, but that that we all hit this point in our 30s where we're like, oh, my God, like, I'm 30. Like, my life is over. Like, if I haven't made it as an A-list actor, like, yeah. I have no future. And it's like, life is long in yeah. a lot of ways. And in many ways, we're, we're just beginning. Every single day is a new step. 
You know, I, I, I totally agree. I think that we, gosh, I think I don't really share my age because I do still do on camera stuff and I play much younger than I am in real life. And I will say that I am a lot older than people probably think in my life. And I think people get this perception that I like a, a lot of people, you know, you leave college and then I had this vision that, you know, I turned 25 and I would have a series like Michael J. Fox. I would be, you know, yeah. that's just how it would go. And and especially because I moved out to L.A. at the start of 2020, people think like, oh, I started acting in 2020. And then, you know, in a few years, I booked something that people know me from. And that's all it takes. But we don't see the years of investment of things that go into that hard work. They only see when someone reaches that uh, mountain for whoever. Pinnacle. Yeah, that pinnacle of whatever they're, they're looking at. I, you know, I've seen some stuff for you. You know, like you've gotten to go to San Diego Comic-Con. You've got to work on mm -hmm. these phenomenal series and shows like Rugrats and Call of Duty and you know you're like the you're the voice of the Blood Elf in World of Warcraft to a lot of people <laughs> you know most people that's that is the the top of the mountain for a lot of people and I'm curious what is it for you now I know you said video games anime and animation but what is the thing that you're thirsting for now that you um because we you have to keep working hard even if you do that one thing that's not enough to in this career, mm -hmm. I think, to sail the ship. And <laughs> at least for, for <laughs> someone like me, it's like I can't just sit and rest and let that be the story I tell for the end of time. Yeah. What is it for you now? Yeah. What is the what are the stories or what is the the goal from a broader perspective that you're trying to achieve? So it's always the through line is to uplift and inspire through creative play. So encouraging people to get out, <laughs> get out of their houses <laughs> and play, um, play with friends, go dance, go on a hike, be out in nature, um, you know, connect with humanity, like find out, find all the spots where we're different and just sit in that uncomfortableness of like, I don't see eye to eye with you on that thing, but I'm going to hear what you have to say and, and, and listen, mm. um, so, but I think it's really, I never thought about collecting or like connecting with my fans directly until a few years ago. And I think I would really love to connect with the fans of the projects that I've done, um, the personal appearances and the, the feedback that I get from the fans is that missing piece that we had in theater and the audience reaction and like being a part of a living, breathing thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, there are, there are certain roles, types of roles that I want to play and, and certain specifics within, um, voice acting. But I think for now it's even more just, um, being connecting with, um, the people that are fans of the work that I've done and also introducing them to, other things like mm. my music. So if if you liked World of Warcraft, maybe you would like this acoustic album I put out, or yeah. um, maybe you might enjoy some of these comedy sketches I do. Or um, so I think it's really about connecting with the fans. That's something I feel is a little bit more within my grasp than just um, booking any certain role. Of course. I mean, like for example, I was I was having. I was hanging out with the director that I was working on this project with and the project got axed. <laughs> like that's completely out of our, you know, that's yeah. happened, that happens. Uh, that's happened a number of times. Like, um, so I think, you know, always striving to do better work, 
um, be more in the moment, be more authentic to the character, interpret the copy better, um, be connected in my reads, not get uh, lazy or bored or, um, you know, within the audition space. Um, but yeah, just being open to the magic and, and, oh, and I think even the biggest part of all of that is being grateful. Yeah. Because without gratitude, all of this feels like it's not good enough. And I, I don't want to do that. I want to be grateful for all of it. Yeah. We're so lucky to be able to do what we do for a living and it is hard work and it's challenging, but so is shoveling coal. So is, um, being a pipe fitter, you know, my dad's a pipe fitter. That was a tough job, you know? So the fact that I get to envision this life and create it as I go, um, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I want to actively appreciate the life that I have. I think we all forget sometimes to be grateful for the things that we have, especially in this industry when you're, it can sometimes be a bit of a rat race where you're constantly trying to claw to this thing, which I don't think ever really exists. <laughs> yeah, because I think the next level, the, the next, next level. level too. But I, I, I even see, you know, our peers and just from my own experience, um, if you don't allow yourself to be grateful, I think we miss out on the appreciation of it, of, of what we're actually doing when we're doing it. Um, I've had yeah. many times in my career, and I'm curious if you have as well, where I book something and I realize I've already skipped over that part of celebrating um, <laughs> the thing that if I had gotten that five years ago, yeah. I wouldn't have believed it. Um, yeah. because there's this, I think in this industry, maybe it's particular to voiceover, but I don't think so. I think any artistic venture probably has this. When you get to that next little peg on the ladder, you're constantly trying to reach for that next one because you want to mm -hmm. keep sustaining it and you want to follow the momentum. Have you had those moments where, or what was your inspiration for really focusing on your gratitude? Was there something specifically that happened where, um, you realized you needed to reflect more on that in your life? I, I think it's human nature to, yeah, right? um, to want more and cause that's how we survived. Like we're programmed to, we're not programmed to be satisfied because if we we're satisfied, we wouldn't go hunt that deer. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm good. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, I will take my Deepak Oprah every day of the week because, you know, I, I'm actually doing a, a Deepak Chopra 21 day meditation right now because I was like, mm, I'm finding myself, uh, you know, not uh, connecting to gratitude. It's like you got to give yourself space to feel it. You, you know, if it's journaling about it, the simple things that seem like why should they matter or why should they change your outlook? But they do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's doing that work. It's like, maybe it's actually more beneficial for me to spend 20 minutes meditating and being grateful for the abundance in my life than it is for me to immediately check things off my to-do list. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, that to-do list, guess what? It never ends. It just keeps going and you just put more <laughs> things on it and then you're still going to be, you know, 20, 20 things deep. So um, I'm trying to carve out space for that and to be present 
that's like my goal every day is just like mm. be present. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It can be really tough. It's so tough. Gosh, I mean, everything you said, though, even starting your day with uh, meditation or journaling can change so much. I've seen it in my own life to set yourself up for success for the rest of the day because the second you start looking at the to-do list, you just start realizing how much you have to do and then that can just destroy your productivity yeah. for the day. And your the way you feel your enjoyment. Yes. The way the way you enjoy the things you're doing. If you're just like, oh my God, there's so many things that I need to do. Um, versus being like, I'm just gonna do these three things today. And yeah. if more get done, great. It's isn't it a crazy idea to think like something as um tedious as maybe cleaning the house, you can actually enjoy doing that. You can be pleasant and you can look at that as something like if you have gratitude. Um, you can, these tasks that we often get our schedules filled up with because they need to get done, whether that's feeding the animals or cleaning the house or doing the laundry. Like I, in my own life, it's like, yeah, what does it cost to just be happy and grateful during those things? It actually, it it doesn't cost anything. And in, in fact, it makes the rest of my day so much better when I'm trying to focus on the positivity of, of those kind of chores that we have to do just to Mm -hmm. exist. And sometimes that that's not easy. That's why I like to put on like a motivational book or do just a guided meditation, something where I can just switch my brain off and just like fall. It's kind of like just eating a healthy meal or something where it's like, okay, I'm just, this is, this is my self care. This is the way I'm going to take care of my brain. (laughs) What about in like for your your work when you're acting or even for music? What are the things? I mean, it sounds like you have a really good grasp or at least a uh, an understanding of the things that you need to be um, balanced or healthy or productive. Um, what are the things from an artistic perspective that are inspiring you or uh, giving you fuel to constantly kind of search for more creativity or push yourself in in ways of mm-hmm. acting that maybe you didn't think you could because just to comment on it like I saw the video that you did where you were talking about uh, the voice you did for Josh on Rugrats and you mm-hmm. you were able to articulate so well what could have been a very kind of um I mean, I, I remember auditioning for that thing and what could be a very basic idea. Did you audition for Josh? I think I did probably, or one of those kids on the show at the time. Yeah. But when you see someone like you really getting articulate about the process that you went through to create that character and make it mm-hmm. three-dimensional, it was really impressive. And I feel like you bring that to a lot of your work. Is there is there what is fueling that creativity to kind of constantly mine for that specificity? Hmm... I'm not sure. I think, I think in that case, it's humor uh, and what makes something uh, funny. Mm. And I feel like what is specific is funny. You know, like if he's just, we'll say he's just got one tooth. Yeah. Like that's just kind of funny. Like, I don't know. Um, you can start from the external and create a character that way, or you can start from the internal and create a character another way, but it's all play at the end of the day. And if you're playing and it feels good, it's like, if it's making you laugh, it's probably good. Um, yeah, but then that's the hard part where you do something like great and you're like, this is so funny. (laughs) And then you don't hear back. I know. Was that fun? Was that funny? Or was that not funny? (laughs) 
I remember there was this kid. I wish like there was more feedback in this job. Right? It's especially on those ones you take the big swings on. I, I remember. Yeah, I, yeah. You do something really dumb. You do like some silly slate or you just take a big risk. Yep. You like write your own song. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah. I was going to say, I remember there was this audition. I couldn't even remember what it's for, but I remember I saw this video of this kid and you might have seen it where he goes, um, it's this cute little kid. I think he's like uh, redheaded with freckles and he's like, apparently I haven't been on live television oh, before. Sure. So I took that as a blueprint. Apparently kid. And I mixed yeah. it with a little bit of like Mike Tyson, the way his speech pattern was. And I combined those two and I was like, for what they were asking for, yeah. I was like, this is hysterical. I'm like, if I don't even uh-huh. get a call back for this, like, I'm going to be so mad. And of course, you don't hear about these things. And it's like, I think my son read on that exact job. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's so ridiculous. Um, yeah. I wonder who booked it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the question that we will always ask. Um, this has been. Who knows? Maybe the job got. Yeah, right. It, it can get mixed like that. Yeah, I mean, there's been tons of things that I've done. I've even recorded fully to the end, and they've never released. So you never really know what the reason for something not coming yeah. out is, or it's and it's unfortunate. You might have been your best work on that thing, but I I think that that's why that constant desire to work harder or get more is what makes people who keep working in this industry constantly booking new jobs. Because at the second you you sit around and you rest and you're you're like that's good I'm okay with that you're you, everybody else is working so hard that 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 like the the status bar of where the quality is in this industry is constantly getting raised so mm. you got to kind of keep kicking butt and keep mining for different things which is why I'm always really curious about what people do yeah. to uh, inspire themselves well I think yeah I mean it's always great when you get to work off of somebody too. It's like, I, I don't know if it's the theater kid in me, but like having feedback from an audience, comedy is really hard in a vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why when they shoot a sitcom, they have a live audience or like the crew will be like applauding and laughing really loud. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's timing. It's, it's, um, it's feedback. It's energy. Yeah. I mean, that's really what we're doing in all this is it's an energy exchange. Right. But, and, and, and especially in this industry where you don't, um, from, at least from an audition perspective, like there's no feedback loop on whether you're doing something that's making somebody compelled or moved. It's like y- you have your own barometer for that, but that can only go so far. Um, yeah. And so it's tough. Yeah, it's a very tough, this industry, especially when we don't get to do those group records, which I hope will return in some capacity. Uh, yeah, I, I see. I see some of them are starting to come back. So I went on yes. Friday. Oh, there we go. Amazing. I know. So great. And, and yeah, and then the end of this month too, like a family style <laughs> family so style cool. i just they call it, they're calling it family i've style. just read i read something recently that said we were we are returning to family style on something so that's so funny that that's uh, hopefully coming back in in more yeah. I, i've i've talked with people on this podcast and some people say they don't like recording that way some directors say they don't like recording that way and it's i i thought that was mind blowing for me i was like yeah, i'm losing so much potential as an artist as an actor not having anybody to work off of or just even the nuance that's created between the lines that inform your choices. It's, I agree. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough it's tough for me not to do that. Um <laughs> what are what are some things for you uh, to kind of wrap this up here? I mean, you've you've worked on like so many titles, you've had characters that go on for a very long time. It seems to me like you're somebody who is a very proficient in doing kind of these young character creature 
like um, voices that were at least cute characters. I don't know if you would classify them as creatures. I mean, <laughs> your character in Yokai Watch, he's uh, Aww, yeah, you know, like I don't know if you would When you, you do these things that have this energy and you have this, is, is that coming from anything specific in your life? Like, where does that kind of gleeful, youthful kind of enthusiasm come from for you? I think with the natural enthusiasm, I think it comes from just being a kid at heart. Yeah. And always, you know, I mean, I've got a seven-year-old and we just play. We play all the time. We we make things. I always just felt like I never want to fully grow up. I don't want to commit to like not having fun and not having joy and not taking risks because to me, that's an adventure mm. and that's the best part of life. I, agree. I like I like silliness. I like um, I like to play. I like to play too when it is acceptable. Sometimes my partner gets mad at me when I start playing when we're having serious conversations. She's like, no, "All right, all right okay, I got to stop now." But I'm I, I, I agree <laughs> with you. It is. Yeah, uh, accessing that that child at heart is always, I think, helpful as an artist. Um, yeah. Well, Allison, this has been so amazing to get to know you a little better. I know you talked a lot about community and stuff. Where can people find um, either your Discord or more information about any shows that you're coming up with? Or is there yeah. should people be going to your website, TikTok? Where is yes. That? So if they go to my website, Allison Packard, it's A L I C Y N Packard P A C K A R D. You can sign up for my newsletter. Mm kind of moved away from newsletters. We are back with newsletters because it's really the only way to make sure that like people are can opt in to what you have to say. So um, I am starting to do more shows. I have one coming up in the Boston area in July. Um, and I'm, you know, in the process of booking some conventions. I, my goal would be to do different shows, um, performance music shows when I'm in a new city. Mm. Uh, so I'm, you know, getting the full act together and, and being able to perform is a definite joy for me. Um, but they can also connect with me on Instagram. I'd say I post most frequently and, um, also share short clips for, uh, the podcast. And I'm at Allison, just my first name. TikTok. I love to create video content on there. Probably not as regular as um, some folks, but you can find me at Allison Packard. And then I have a YouTube channel. I, I have two actually. So one is personal. Mm -hmm. It's Allison Packard. And I post voiceover content, um, mostly short form. If I can get to it one day, I would like to do more long form um, content. And then I have um, the Allison's Wonderland channel. And that is where all our uh, full length interviews go. Right now we're doing one every other week and cutting down short form content and medium form content for from each episode to give you like highlights. Mm. So yeah, you know, why not just take the smorgasbord of available <laughs> treats and enjoy enjoy yourself. I love those. your I, I love your passion for making all this stuff and creating and, and you know putting yourself out there, pushing yourself. Um people seriously listen to the podcast it's phenomenal if you enjoy you. anything about this i think you're going to get all that and more uh listening to mm -hmm. allison's wonderland um allison this has been so nice thank you for coming on and sharing and people please uh check out anything and yeah request her at cons that's the thing we need to keep yeah. telling people more is uh yeah you know if you'd like to see us in certain cities and and it sounds like you could potentially be performing in that city as well let your local cons know um 
Yay. Awesome. Well, we Allison, need to do a con together. It'll yes, be so fun. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm sure there's something we've worked on together, too, that we can find either down the road or that already exists between us. Yeah. Because that always happens. Um, <laughs> seriously, Allison, uh, you you are wonderful. Um, no wonder you have your own wonderland. I appreciate <laughs> your personality, your thirst for, for play and positivity, gratitude, all that stuff. I love it. Um, Thanks, Paul. It's really been a pleasure to chat with you. Great chatting with you. Awesome. Have a great day, everybody. You too. Bye. Bye. It is so nice to finally get to chat with Allison. Uh, I really, really, really do recommend her podcast, so please check it out. She's had such fantastic guests, people that I dream of having on the show. So um, until I do that, you can watch them on hers. Why don't you go and do that? Um, that would mean a lot to me, and I'm sure it would mean a lot to her. She really is uh, somebody, I think, who has a very similar sensibility to me in this industry, a go-getter, wants to have their hands in different you know, cookie jars and to make the most out of this industry and connect with all of you, the fans, because that to me is what makes this all worth it is knowing that there is a connection with the people consuming the content that we get to be a part of. So my gratefulness for all of you is over the moon, over the sun, over the stars, over the galaxy. I really do appreciate you. And I appreciate you so much because you're going to like and subscribe because most of you aren't subscribed. And you're going to check out Spotify if you haven't and give us a follow there. Leave us a review or any of that stuff and check out the subscriptions that we're going to be having offered. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Until we meet again on the next episode, I appreciate you. Have a great day, month, year, week, whatever. I'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye.